Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Monday, the 7th of November. I am Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. We've had a big weekend, haven't yes, we? A We've massive had a weekend. Big weekend. Two Sydney shows, the end of the tour. We can all still speak just about back to normal programming. On the show today, what the death of a naughty's pop star tells us about grief, addiction, and complicated families. Plus, should people be praised for not cheating on their partners? The conversation sparked by Tim Minchin that Jesse and I are arguing about. And an out louder dilemma about busyness, values, and when two sisters are in very different life stages. But first... It's like snowing pussy willows. In case you missed it, Chris Jenner, who is an icon in her own right, had a birthday. She had a birthday party, actually. She turned 67. And to celebrate all her kids dressed up as her, which I think has now set the bar for what I want for my next birthday. Mm. And Jessie, by then, you will be my daughter-in-law and you are also going to have to dress up as me. Kim, Chloe, Courtney, Kylie and Kendall, granddaughter North too, they all dressed up as some of Chris's most iconic moments. This is a little bit visual, so it's actually quite a stupid in case you missed it for a podcast. We'll put <laughs> but, the pictures on our Mummy Out Loud Instagram. Courtney dressed up as a nod to Chris's cameo on Ariana Grande's film clip. They all had Chris Jenner wigs, which is like the short kind of very black pixie-ish cut. They rocked it. Even Melanie Griffith, even though she's not one of the children but is a very good friend, got in on the joke. She was also wearing one of the wigs and everyone did look a lot like Kris Jenner. I love this idea. I love this idea for Mia. The minute I saw it, I was like, we could all do that for Mia because you have a very distinctive look, don't you think, Jessie? Funnily enough, for my 50th birthday, because my husband forgot to make me a video on the day and we were in lockdown and I cried the whole day because all I wanted was a video. I've never had a birthday video before. And because no one could have a party, I couldn't see anyone, I thought, well, of course he'll do a video because presents aren't my love language. Mm. Anyway, he didn't do it. So he realised he was in deep shit. So he then frantically started to put one together and in it, he did dress up in my clothes. Yeah, that was really no, funny. Yeah. That was his get out of See, jail. See, if I had a birthday where everyone dressed as me, I would leave deeply offended. I remember, Mia, for my book launch, you decided to dress as me. I did. And you wore ill-fitting jeans mm. and a black top that didn't and like work. And like Reebok shoes yes. or like and just sneakers. It's you, very norm core. Yes, yes. And you just looked mm. like your posture was bad because yep. you weren't feeling I it. I hunched. Yes. If you want to know how to make the perfect Kris Jenner martini, it's a vodka in One the Birkin. One of my favourite vodkas. Some martini olives. And, of course, my favourite. Mamma Mia Out Loud! 
The music world is mourning the death of singer Aaron Carter. Authorities say he was found in his bathtub, but a cause of death remains unknown. Carter rose to fame at a very young age, but battled mental health issues and addiction. Over the weekend, you might have seen news of the death of Aaron Carter. He was a singer, rapper and actor who was found dead in his California home at just 34 years old. You might know him as I did through his big brother, Nick Carter, who was and still is part of the Backstreet Boys, one of the most famous bands in the world. Are they still going, the Backstreet Boys? Yeah, they actually are. I think they're like touring at the moment. There was an interview recently with them. And Nick Carter has had his own issues with drug use and lots of stuff, but he's recovered and is now having another wave of his career. And I remember Nick Carter was really big and then Aaron... His younger brother came along at about nine and that's when he rose to fame. That's a bad time. Yeah, exactly. He was a child star and he was on, they did a reality show with the Carters, like with the five of them. He made albums. There were cameos on Lizzie McGuire. He started dating Hilary Duff for a while. He was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Like he was almost a Justin Bieber of that period in the 90s. Could he sing or he was just kind of cute? Yeah, he could. If you've heard the name Aaron Carter in recent years, it will have been in relation to drug use and restraining orders. In 2017, he made headlines when he was arrested for driving under the influence and being in possession of drugs. And then in 2019, he appeared on the US TV show The Doctors, where he tested positive for marijuana, extended opiates and benzos. He said he was taking to treat his multiple personality disorder, schizophrenia and acute anxiety. That year, his brother Nick quite publicly said that he was taking out a restraining order against Aaron in light of increasingly alarming behaviour. Aaron had threatened Nick and his pregnant wife and basically said he harboured thoughts of harming his family and his unborn child. As a result, Aaron then went onto Twitter and accused Nick as well as his other siblings of horrendous abuse, of sexual abuse, and it appeared that he was having an episode at the time and it really you know, further fractured their relationship. In 2020, he met Melanie Martin and he had a son named Prince. In September of this year, he checked into rehab in order to try and regain custody of that son. At this point, his official cause of death is unknown, but substance abuse is suspected. He was found in the bathtub. Tragically, his sister, Leslie Carter, died 10 years ago of a drug overdose and she was 25. Oh, wow. And this is one of those stories that no one quite knows what to do with. I saw yesterday a bunch of commentary that was pushing Nick Carter to make a statement and then there was arguments about whether or not you should feel sorry for him because he was estranged from Aaron, so is it even right to even extend your thoughts and prayers to him? And I just thought that was unbelievably ridiculous to expect some sort of statement from Nick Carter in the wake of his little brother's death. And it made me think about the complication of losing someone you had a fractured relationship with. And often it's not less sad, it's actually harder and more complicated. Nick Carter did actually release a statement this morning and he said, even though my brother and I have had a complicated relationship, my love for him has never faded. I've always held on to the hope that he would somehow, someday, want to walk a healthy path and eventually find the help he desperately needed. He said, sometimes we want to blame someone or something for a loss, but the truth is that addiction and mental illness are the real villains here. 
I will miss my brother more than anyone will ever know. I love you, baby brother. (sighs) And it's a very familiar story for child stars. Obviously, River Phoenix died at 23 from a drug overdose. Sawyer Sweeten, who was the child actor on Everybody Loves Raymond, he died by suicide before his 20th birthday. We know Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, Macaulay Culkin, all these people who were sort of in the same, you know, contemporaries of Aaron Carter all had their own issues with substance abuse. And my question is, are there any lessons here? With a story like this, it's so... No. Yeah. And I think that when you said no one knows what to do with this story, that's really interesting because it's like... In this internet age, there has to be a hot take on everything. Yes. And even when we were preparing for this segment, it's like, well, it's interesting, but I don't know how I should feel about it. Like, I don't know, like Nick Carter said, who do I blame? Is this a story about child stars? Is this a story about addiction? Is this a story about abuse? S- abuse. Mm. Like, who knows? Like, it's all of those things. And sometimes there is no lesson or bigger picture or through line sometimes there's just a really sad situation that happened to one family and there are a million stories like this happening to people whose names we don't know who weren't you know once famous and they're happening everywhere Mm. I agree and I, I think that the point you made about everybody asking Nick Carter to speak on it is so true I think Mia and I spoke on Friday about how we've been reading Matthew Perry's biography, which is a lot about addiction, and we're going to do a subscription episode about it. And even when he does release a statement and he said, we kept hoping he was going to want to walk a healthier path. It's like, I'm sure he wanted to, to be honest. I'm sure he did. Addiction is very complicated and people who love people who are suffering from it have this dread in their stomach all the time that this call is going to come. And they've done everything they can as a family very often to try and help and I feel like there's a desperation there that is part of this story. If there is anything to be learned by it, I found this really interesting in The Guardian because the other story that people are talking about in celebrity world a lot today is about Selena Gomez's documentary. Now, I haven't watched this. I'm watching this at the moment. There you go. But what it's about is her battle with mental health and it's interesting how we're learning so much more about that now in terms of people in the public sphere who are dealing with it and the kindness that we should or shouldn't be feeling towards people who are struggling publicly. Well, should, what there isn't really a, a shouldn't there. Emma Garland wrote about how we're re-examining all these naughty stars like Carter. And she says, Carter similarly falls into an age bracket that now compels a vast amount of goodwill from those who grew up with him on their TV screens and bedroom walls, while also being a pop generation too old to have benefited from the kindness of greater awareness about mental health Mm. and addiction. And I think that's true. I think that right now, when we're looking at public figures who are struggling with mental health and addiction, we have different language. We look at it in a different way. I mean, I don't think we've learned all the lessons. We've been talking about Cara Delevingne recently and the way that her behavior is being covered. I don't think we've learned all the lessons, but I think there's definitely a greater awareness. But we've also been talking about Kanye and we've been talking about his behavior and how much do you forgive due to addiction and mental illness and how much do you hold someone accountable still? I don't think still? it's about forgiveness, but I think it's about mental health awareness. How much do you condone? I don't, I don't think it's condoning, but I think that 
we need to understand and be empathetic about mental health even when it's ugly because at the moment there seems to be a real sense of when people are working and they're making sense and Mm. they're kind, then we go, yep, mental illness, totally fine. But then, and I really like that Nick Carter mentioned that in his statement because the messiness, the reality of mental illness is addiction, is family estrangement, is meanness, is Mm. abandoning children. It can be, not always, but it can be really ugly. And I think there needs to be lots of different pictures of what it looks like. And I agree, Holly, that some part of him wanted to get better, but at the same time, Nick Carter spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy, which a lot of families will relate to, Mm. helping Aaron Carter and sending him to rehab and all those resources. And no matter how much he did, I guarantee that today he's thinking, I could have done more, which is how anyone who has anyone in their family who struggled with mental illness, there is no end point for how much you think you should give them. I just think even with Kanye that we've got to accept and talk about mental illness and put a spotlight on it even when it's really antisocial and ugly. Hi, this is Gilda. I was at the Seymour Centre for the show yesterday. It was the best gift to myself. The buzz of being with a huge tribe of outlanders all in the same auditorium was powerful and pulsing. Just amazing. Loved every bit of the show. Thank you. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Only a ginger can call another ginger ginger. Tonight on the ABC's Australian Story, musician, actor, comedian, writer, I'm not sure what else he is, he's lots of things, Tim Minchin is telling his story. And as part of the promo, he's talking about his long marriage and resisting temptation. Now, he's talked about this before. I think he talked about it with you, Mia, when he was in for a no filter a couple of years ago now. For me, having gone through this transition from being someone just a sort of pudgy ginger kid that no one's interested in to someone who a lot of people are interested in, I've made a choice that I think um, Sarah's the right person and that monogamy is the right idea and that family is a priority over all the other stuff which I also really, 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 really want. I've made a choice. It's a real commitment to loyalty. So that's what I've done. But mostly it's just that Sarah is infinitely tolerant. To be fair... We were a couple of kids from Perth. I was playing in cover bands and bringing home whatever, 15 grand I think I earned in 2004. In a period of three years, we suddenly, well, by the time Matilda was done, we realised we probably would never have a financial woe in our lives and that we could live the life we wanted to live. Mm. So you'd have to be a bit of a dick to whine too much. We are hugely aware of how lucky we are. And that's because Minchin has been with his partner, Sarah, since they were 17. And I think that really fascinates people because he's now in his mid-40s, but he became very famous and very rich. 
during the course of this long relationship. He says they've been together since they were 17, although they had a two-year break in those early years, and he wasn't famous then, and now he is. He's been unusually open about the fact that when you're famous, more people want to sleep with you than they did before you were famous and how he handles that. He wrote a song about it, in fact, called I'll Take Lonely Tonight, about making the conscious choice while on the road half a planet away from Sarah to not say yes to an attractive woman and instead go back to his, as he describes it, three and a half star hotel and eat Snickers. Here's what he and Sarah say about it on Australian Story and about the reaction that women have to that song. You're away from home for a long time and you're jet lagged and you're drinking. I don't know, I think um, the times I got close to doing the wrong thing made me realize that uh, it wouldn't be worth it to blow my marriage up. So though I am hungry and tempted, I'm sorry I'm not gonna buy. I know regret in the making. I'll take lonely. That is a song about my darling husband, <laughs> like not cheating on me. Congratulations, well done, Tim. Yeah, it's just about choosing not to cheat when you could. But I make a joke of that, that he uh, shouldn't um, be praised for everything, <laughs> including including not cheating on me. That's right. <laughs> like it's so I had a hard. couple of reactions when that song came out from women, just like, what do you want, a frickin' medal? Like, really <laughs> angry women. And I'm like, no, I don't want anything. I'm just writing a song. <laughs> now, I think that song is incredibly that. romantic. Because I think fidelity is about choice and it's harder than it looks. But my mate Jesse thinks that Minchin should not be voicing the fact that he is tempted, that it's a bit disrespectful to his missus. What makes you roll your eyes a bit at this song, Jesse Stevens? I had exactly the reaction that his wife articulated, which was about you don't deserve a medal and congratulations on the bare minimum. And if you made a commitment to someone of fidelity and then you keep that like great. She is at home too with her husband on the other side of the world looking after their kids. Is she not lonely too? Like the assumption that he's the only one in that pair that could cheat or might have people willing to cheat with him, I thought was a little bit sexist, although I do acknowledge that his life is looking very different. But then I examined it further. It's not sexist, it's just reality. It's just I reality. Of, of fame, of yeah. fame. But I examined it a little bit further because I went, what irks me about this? Because when I actually listened to the song and that clip, I thought I respect what he's doing because it's taboo. He's saying something that's taboo mm. and that's what art is meant to do and that's cool. I went, okay, why did I get my back up? And I think it's because the word triggered is extremely overused, but it's the only word I can think to use in this context of past boyfriends I've had who've looked at me and gone, you know, I could have cheated. Like I had someone, this person, who I think is more attractive and who has all of these incredible qualities and I didn't cheat. And do you know, and I remember this line more than once, which is, do you know how hard this is for me? Like, do you know how hard it is for me to be faithful, committed and faithful when I have other options? And I remember every time I thought. But were they saying that as evidence of... I'm choosing you. Like you saw it in a very negative way, but maybe they were saying it no, in No, the, they weren't. I'm choosing you, it I'm was, choosing you. No, it was negging and what it was oh. is it's the type of man who says things that are incredibly mean under the guise of honesty because they think that they're being a real oh, nice and you're, honest and, guy. And the only reaction it allows you to have is one of gratitude. Yes, because otherwise you're like, being well crazy. Done you. There is a particular type of guy 
that mm. says really brutally honest things that are really, really hurtful and then they expect you to be honest. And I think I read that into Tim Mitchin. Mm. I actually don't think he is that guy and I think that was my own history that was getting my back up a bit. When I did listen, I thought that's a cool thing to write about because I've heard a lot of celebrities, a lot of very famous people, I see it with sports stars, basketballers, who go into stadiums and they are applauded by tens of thousands of people. The stimulation, the adrenaline, mm. what that does to your brain, the chemicals that are released, it's not normal. Sure. And then we expect those people to go back to the hotel room with a Snickers and not take drugs, which like, of course you're chasing that high. That high is so unnatural. I don't think it's normal for a human then to just sit alone and be okay with that. And I think that's why you see substance abuse. It's why you see alcohol abuse. It is why you see infidelity because you are chasing this level of adrenaline that most of us don't know. When we were on tour, did you find it hard to go back oh, to so your hard. room? Especially because <laughs> when we go on tour, like the amount of men throwing themselves at <laughs> us, right? My favourite part of the night was going back to my room and eating whatever was in the minibar. I think that it's really ridiculous to ignore the fact that not everyone is tempted in the same way by cheating because not everybody has the opportunity to cheat. And when you are famous or rich or powerful or very, very good looking, you just have more opportunities. And so the fidelity muscle, it is a muscle, I think probably, mm. is tested more often. Maybe it just doesn't sound like a very humble thing to say out loud. Maybe that's why I'm getting a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. Like It's funny because we were talking about it with a group of women this morning in our editorial meeting and most of them were having the same reaction as Jesse, which was like, who does he think he is? Mm. And I'm just like, you put the bar so high on mere mortals mm. because not only is it enough that you have to promise to not cheat, but you also apparently have to never, ever be tempted or think about it or acknowledge that you might ever want to, mm. like forever until you're dead. And that's not what humans are like. Like, I think what I really like about this song and about this conversation is it's actually more romantic. It's actually something that acknowledges the inherent beauty in yeah. the sacrifices it takes to keep a long-term relationship going for you to be going, no, this is a choice. This isn't because I love you so much that every other person mm. is just a black and white facsimile and I don't even notice them. Like, sure, maybe there are some people who feel that way and maybe there are some people who feel that way at particular times in their relationship. But it's actually a much deeper statement of love to be like, no, I could. I could have done this and I could have done that. And I totally get what you're saying, Jesse, about the way that those exes said that to you. Yes. Definitely negging and triggering and bullshit. But I think that there is actually something beautiful in acknowledging how bloody difficult long-term monogamy is and how it is actually a choice every day, whether that's to stay faithful or whether that's to stay together. It's hard and it's unsexy. I love that. The only thing that I think when I listen to this, because it isn't the first time I've heard this being brought up, and it's because he talks about it and lots of people don't is now him not cheating has become such a part of his brand. I really hope he never gets busted cheating. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't want to. He'd be screwed. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. Mm -hmm. 
Hi, my name's Amy. This is a question for Out Loud. Look, I need some advice for my 16-year-old daughter. And Out Loud posted this anonymous dilemma on the Facebook group and we thought we would kick it around. She writes, I have a younger sister who is doing a PhD. Over the years, our relationship has been pretty one-sided in that I initiate contact and check in on her as she's been through a lot with her studies. Everyone in our family feels for her because of her challenging schedule with studies and work. I'm currently pregnant with baby number three and have had a very hard pregnancy while also looking after my two other kids. My sister came to a family wedding recently and asked me why we haven't spoken for so long. I told her it was because I hadn't called her and I'm the one always initiating contact. And she said, oh, but you know how busy I am and I don't mean anything by it. I'm just always overwhelmed. I told her I understood that, but I'm also very busy at the moment and trying to survive this pregnancy. She looked at me and said, but my PhD benefits society. Your kids are for you and your husband. It's not the same. The conversation didn't continue, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I worked and studied before kids, and I know how hard that can be, but is it really more worthy of empathy than being a parent because society benefits more? Have I been living under a rock? Who says things like that? Who says things like that? I've got an answer for you, Holly, and it's people who are feeling defensive. She is feeling very, very defensive because I know that this person writing in feels like everyone in our family feels for her because of her challenging schedule with studies and work. I bet she feels like no one understands her and she has this other sister with two kids, one on the way, and the way that we universally understand, as we should, that motherhood and child-rearing and looking after little babies is one of the most exhausting things that you can do, right? Mm. And when she's had babies, I'm sure that there has been congratulations and there's been a fuss made and there's been mm. like an understanding that this is yeah. really hard. You go and help Betty yes. out. She's doing it so hard. Exactly. And maybe there were baby showers and yep. text messages and... Kids' birthday parties. Exactly. Many gifts. And this sister who has been typing away at her PhD... There are a few things more lonely. It is a really lonely thing to do. I did a master's degree and purposely didn't do a PhD because it sends you a little bit mad. I think she's feeling... I purposely didn't do a PhD as well. <laughs> Me too, Mia. I could have I done. think it makes you feel, especially as a woman, like no matter what you write, no matter what you do, no matter what career achievement you have, no one will respect you or honour your time as much because you haven't pushed a baby out of your body. And I, I wonder if that's where it's coming but from. But I'm confused. Who are you defending? You're saying who's feeling defensive? I the think sister with the PhD or the sister with the children? When people are rude because the sister with the PhD has been rude. What she has said that's is definitely not okay rude. That's that definitely rude. That statement was rude. But it is coming from a place of insecurity, of insecurity, self-consciousness and defensiveness. I, I don't think also, she's a mean uh, person. I would also say it's coming from a place of extreme self-absorption. And I won't say narcissism because that's very mean. I think when you don't have kids and you're doing your PhD, it is by its nature, and some people do PhDs with kids yeah. or other pressures and responsibilities, you have to be completely self-absorbed because you're basically taking an idea and working on it for three years. And so you, and you do have, have to, to believe it will change the world. I know. Yeah. You do, and usually it won't, and it won't benefit society. Um, Disagree. It'll benefit you probably. I'm not Disagree. talking about every PhD, and you know I am very defensive about tertiary education because I have none. <laughs> but I think it's just they're in very different places yeah. because when you've got three kids you are the bottom of your list of priorities 
And when you are doing a PhD and you are working, it is all about you by necessity. And there's no judgment in that, but they're See, in very different headspaces, very different life stages. There's no judgment in that. I think that for almost Maybe everyone a little in bit her judgment. life, there is an enormous <laughs> amount of yes. judgment that no matter what she does, it's always going to be like, oh, it's quite self-absorbed. But there isn't because she, the sister said everyone in our family feels for her because of her challenging schedule. I don't think that the sister with the PhD feels that. I think two things are true in this situation because Jessie's right. When you don't have kids and lots of people around you do, you feel like they're constantly being, you know, prioritized, sympathized with yeah. and prioritized and that you as a woman in particular, clearly like you get a bit of a pitying head tilt and it's like, oh, you know, I know your work's very important, but is it really? So there probably is a lot of history to that. But the comment, your kids are for you and your husband, but it's not the same. It's a terrible, Mm. terrible line. I have a brother and we don't have the kind of relationship where we would ever say shit like that to each other, right? Ever. And I just, if somebody said that to me, I would be so offended because- Holly, it's really cruel. That is having a sister. My sister and I are very, very close. We say things that cutting- that mean all the time. And I looked at the comments in the Out Louders group and a lot of people going, oh, my goodness, your sister's toxic, blah, blah, blah. I think your sister had a bad day. She mm, shouldn't have said yeah. that. I mm. think she'll probably feel differently 24 hours later. Mm. Sisters say fucked up things to each other that hurt them more than anything anyone else could imagine. She's found an insecurity. She's poked it. Different if this is repeated behaviour all the time. But I think there's a lot to unpack. What you were saying about how the sister who doesn't have kids is feeling insecure. Yes. The same is true the other way too. Exactly. Because the woman who has spent the last however many years of her life prioritising her small children is also feeling insecure. Exactly. Because when you're, particularly if you're home with kids, you feel like everybody's looking at you and going, yeah, but what else do you do? Do you know what I mean? Like everybody thinks that. So they're just in two very different places, as Mia said. Can they come back from it? Oh, absolutely. I think they just need to have it out, have a little yell on the phone, say everything you need to say, get it out. This is what Claire and I do. Then we find a funny TikTok and send it to each other and then it's over. That'll do it. You never resolve. You just move on. I've got a recommendation this week and it's actually a playlist. It's not a specific playlist, but if you go to any music apps, I go on Spotify and you just search brown noise. I've been listening to brown noise lately. Have you heard of brown noise? No, Is it like I'm white very noise? Confused me because there's also pink noise and all kinds of noise. Yeah, there's What's all these the different different coloured noises, and they sort of do different things. So. The one that most people will be familiar with is white noise, which encompasses sounds from all over the spectrum, so like low, mid-range and high-frequency notes. And it's often used to block out background Background, noise or some people like listening to it to concentrate. Pink noise is a softer version of that because white noise can be quite high-pitched and not very soothing. Brown noise is a lot like white noise, but it has a lower, deeper quality. And it's gained this big following over the last few months in ADHD online communities. Lots of people have said that if you've got ADHD, it allows their brain to feel calm and freed from that internal monologue. So the best way to look for any of these type of noises, if you want to hear them, is to just go onto Spotify, wherever you get your music, and under playlist, just search brown noise. Do you find it helps with concentration? Yeah, hugely. When's a time when you would listen? For example, if I was trying to read, I might Ah. listen. If I was trying to write, I might listen. If I was trying to 
concentrate on anything because if you've got ADHD, often you'll be very easily distracted. I often listen to it at work because if you work in an open plan office, listening to brown noise again, can just block out all that, you know, chatter. Jane having a chatter over the, the photocopier and someone mm. else and then the sound of the lift and then you hear something else. So I found it really helpful. So we'll put a link in our show notes and also we'll pop it in the newsletter. Mamma Mia is releasing a new podcast this Thursday, so please keep your eyes peeled. It is called Here If You Need. It's hosted by one of my favourite Australian athletes, Olympic swimmer Kate Campbell, and sports journalist Hayley Willis. And why is it called Here If You Need, Jesse? It is because it is Mamma Mia's first sport podcast. But and what does Here If You Need mean? Here If You Need is obvious. I forget that you've yeah, never for played those, sport in your those life. Those of us who aren't sporty. Yes. Well, it is what you yell when you're playing netball and you're free for a pass. It's so funny because I didn't understand the significance of Here If You Need. And then I was talking to a group of women about it and I said, yeah, we've got this new podcast, sports podcast. It's called a podcast, and it's called Here If You Need. And they all started screaming. They went, oh, my God, that's such a great name, Here If You Need. It's not a netball podcast, but it's just that idea of, you know, women's sport. Exactly. Every week, Hayley and Kate break down the week in women's sport and they share an inspiring story from a legendary woman of the game they'll give you a cheat sheet for sports chat to use every weekend it is going to be amazing there are so many great Mm. stories they'll tell you where to watch everything it's coming this thursday to your favorite podcast huge buzz around this podcast. really excited thank you for listening to today's mama mirror out loud it's produced by emma gillespie with audio production by leah porges and assistant production from Susanna macon bye 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 Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.